0: This podcast is a Tucker Media production. For more information, head to tuckermedia.com.au. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Media Mates podcast. My name's Ralph Tucker. Each week I'll chat to somebody I've met from my career in and around the media industry. All of them have such great stories to tell. I'm not Michael Parkinson or Andrew Denton but I do enjoy chatting to interesting media people about where they've been, where they're headed next, and everything else in between. My guest today is Gil Taylor, court reporter for Macquarie Media. Gil has had a long and distinguished career in radio, starting at 2GN in Goulburn before moving on to 2GB, 2WS, Triple M and Today FM, and then back to 2GB. He chats about why he had to reinvent himself throughout his career, being a reluctant leader, and discovering the band Ratcat. Gil is someone I've known and respected since I was a working experience kid 22 years ago, so I really hope you enjoy our chat. Gil Taylor, welcome to the Media Mates podcast. Thank you very much. We're currently across the road from the Supreme Court of New South Wales. You've managed to duck out during your your lunch break. Yes, during 52 cases and it's like being a lawyer without the money, Ralph. That's really what it's like. (laughs) All right, now we'll Get to your long and distinguished career. Where did it all start for you for radio? Because you've been a, a well-known voice in Sydney radio for quite some time now. So let's get in the time machine and, and work out where it all sort of began and what sort of led you to that path as a career. Yeah, the first entrance before I of the media
1: was 1981. I got a job as a copyboy at News Limited. So that's not radio, but this is sort of a precursor to it. And I was on Ida, Ida Buttrose's desk for a while. And she was fantastic. You know, Everyone was in love with Ida at that time. And the song was out, the Cold Chisel song, and it yeah, was yeah, all yeah. happening. But we were getting two cadetships being given out out of 40 copy people for the exams. And I thought, this this isn't for me. I don't think print's for me. I think it's got to be something else. And then there was like about a five-year void where there was nothing. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I had no idea. So, so what I- did you do? Traveled, bummed around, worked in a warehouse, went and saw bands, you know, sat on my backside sort of thing. And then in 1986, I pick up the Yellow Pages and there's an ad for Max Rowley's Media Academy. And I thought, well, what the hell's that? <laughs> so I decided to go and have a crack at that. You know? Did you walk in the door and think, what the hell's that as well? In a way, because it was like, uh, where was it, 241 Chalmers Street. It was just uh, like a terrace house. Yeah. But it was all very relaxed and everyone was a bit like me, not sure about what they were going to do and or how it was going to work out and... Max was very amenable, of course. Hello there, girl. Yes. And um, I was there for a while, on and off, kept leaving and coming back sort of thing. What brought you back every time? Well, I think I think my voice was getting better, and he brought me out of myself a bit. He used to have these forums at the end of the year where you'd do little play bits and stuff, bits out of plays and miming and stuff. Because I don't know if you... You might have gone there yourself. I did. I you went did. in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... I sort of thought, this is all right. You get into a bit of a comfort zone, though, and I stayed there probably maybe a bit too long, you know. No offence, Max. And in 88, uh, I did a radio tour, as I called it, the make-or-break tour, drove all around the state uh, three weeks, went to 22 stations.
0: Because that's what you had to do back then to even get on the notice board of you someone, did. unless unless you were the the office boy at 2GB or 2UE, and That's there was right. only two of them in the, the whole city, yeah. so, yeah. you know, going to the, the country was the way it was way it was done, and once you sort of, like you said, got your confidence up with Max, which mm. a lot of people sort of derided that course over the years, but if nothing else, it made you a better you, didn't it? I think it did, and I, if you're listening, Max, I'll tell you, I've got to thank you, because...
1: A lot of people were bagging it while they were there, and I thought, well, you don't have to be here, and I know it's costing money. It's a business like anything else, and I think it improved me knowing it. gave me some confidence. I didn't get a job from that radio tour. I come back, and uh, someone left 2GN Goulburn, and uh, somehow I got a call. I think my mum knew a sales rep at 2CH, and I thought, what's that got to do with anything? (laughs) And I get this call and they say, look, if you're any good, come down, we'll give you a bit of a test or whatever. Come down to Goldman and have a test. This was April 88. And that's it. That was my first job in radio,
0: April 88. You would have learned a whole lot because you're sitting in Max's classroom and while that was good, it wasn't a real no, radio station. No. As much as he tried to portray it was, no, you know, uh, 2MR, you know, 2 all that MR. kind of uh, business. But yeah, that's right. When you, when you land in a, a place like, Goulburn. What's that like?
1: That was hard for me because they say it's hard for from someone to go to the country to the city. But, you know, it's also hard for someone to go from the city to the country. You know, you're unsure about what's going on. You don't know anyone there. Um, and you're not sure how it's going to work in radio and what you're going to do. And I was petrified, to be honest. What age are you here? Oh, I was 25. But you can be petrified at 25. If you're going into radio for the first time at 55, you're going to be petrified, aren't you? And I was on six nights a week. A lot of it was program stuff, like Take 40 Australia, so you got a bit of time off. Yeah, know. yeah, I mean, uh, Jukebox Saturday Night, shows like that, rock and roll shows. and But 2GN was amazing for me because I did everything from reading the news, producing ads, you know, being characters on ads. Yeah. And I wrote my own rock and roll shows and rang up the artists and interviewed them myself and did all this stuff, you know, people like John Paul Young and Daryl Braithwaite, all this sort of stuff, right? And I thought I can do this. This is all right. I had an eight-track Scorpion mixing desk, which, for those of you, I was going to say you might have to go into a
0: little bit uh, more detail. You won't know what that is. That. Well,
1: you've got this little thing recording me here. This thing was like massive. <laughs> it looked like something at Albert's old recording studios. And I thought, well, if I can, if I can use this thing, you know, I can do anything because I knew nothing about technology.
0: And in a way, it might have been harder then than it is now. I don't know. I think so. I think it would have been most definitely harder. It would mm. have taught you how to multi-skill while you were you yeah. know, reading and doing whatever yeah. you had to do and you had to keep control of the technology at the same time. Yeah. Um, and also what you mentioned earlier is being able to do so many roles within a, a radio station would have been able to sort of you know, sharpen up your skills in so many areas so that you would then learn which area you wanted to sort of focus on. That's it, and this was the journalism thing starting to kick in because I wasn't a journalist, but I learnt
1: to write the lead-ins you know, to the song intro, you know, uh, you know, you needed sort of the stuff leading up to it. You needed context, so I learned how to write that by myself. This was all outside of working hours. I was producing this stuff. I was getting in at 5 in the morning and doing it before I started work at 9, and they put them to air, which was enough for me, you know. So I what, thought, sort
0: of, what sort of kick did you get out of that when they were doing those kind amazing. of things?
1: Amazing! I didn't even think they'd go for it. I went to sales and said, "Look, I've got these this idea for music specials, '60s and '70s artists. You know what they're doing now? Where are they today? Like hour-long specials, or we'll drop songs in that we're playing anyway on the playlist. Some of them not, but some of them we are. Yeah, you know, I did Ross Wilson from Daddy Cool. You know, um, Kevin Borich, Daryl Braithwaite, all these different artists by then that were probably reaching the end of their you know careers. Well, not the end, but still
0: around, John Paul Young. They're in the twilight.
1: In their twilight, yeah.
0: A <laughs> bit, like, so, bit like me. Was it easy to get access to those guys? Because I'd imagine now if you wanted to speak to, you know, your rock yeah. stars, they trotted in with 400 different people <laughs> surrounding them and like, and have their own little tribes and armies and stuff like that, whereas back in the day, perhaps it might have taken one or two phone calls to, to get hold of these guys. It took a lot of phone calls, but that's only because I didn't know where they were.
1: You know, I thought, well, where's Daryl Braithwaite?
0: You know, I
1: mean, so... There was no
0: Google back then,
1: by no the way, Google. Too. <laughs> so I'm making these phone calls and you just stumble on people that at the record company that still had sort of contact with them, even though they'd maybe long left since then and they'd give you the number. Now I couldn't even remember how I sort of stumbled upon them all. but it seemed to work and they were all quite quite good about doing it and that gave me a huge thrill and I'd speak to them for maybe an hour you know or longer about controversies and various things
0: in rock and roll and
1: things that happened.
0: So is that Mm. something that music was something that captivated you and you Mm. were interested in, and obviously talking to these guys was giving you some kind of satisfaction? Absolutely. I was a miniature Glen A Baker, I reckon.
1: I was getting a big kick out of that, and sport was always there. That was the other thing that was always there. I used to turn the sound down on the ABC Saturday afternoon and call the rugby league game that was probably being called by Alan Marks, And Norman May at that time. If that gives you any idea of how old I am, uh, Ralph. (laughs) Great callers, those guys, way. Oh, they were great callers. Uh, Um, So pop music and sport were like this coinciding thing and I was falling into things rather than initiating them, you know?
0: So radio gave you that great opportunity to pursue those interests and combine it all together. I mean, that must have been something, particularly in a place like, like Goulburn, where you were probably able to use a lot of trial and error, make your mistakes and put it all together? Were there influences in Goulburn that you had there? Like who taught you how to do different things or were you pretty much self-taught? You pretty much, the thing was it wasn't like they were nice people and they had a radio
1: station to run, but you were kind of thrown in at the deep end by yourself to see what you could do. So you're doing mornings one minute, news the next, producing ads the next and you climbed up the ladder and Somehow I flummed it and became program director of the place, which I still couldn't believe. I was like Stephen Bradbury, I think I was the the last guy standing. But you make mistakes, you know. One mistake was not taking dinner to Jukebox Saturday night, and I thought, well, I can't stay on air for six hours, so what am I going to do? Like, we're playing two-minute pop songs. So I put on one side of Mike Oldfield's Tubular Bells, which runs 23 minutes, went out to the pizza shop, ordered one and came back, and he was still going, you know. He talks about 100 (laughs) instruments on that album. (laughs) <laughs> Thank God for Mike. Yeah, exactly. Bass guitar. You know, I got back and went, "Oh, that's good." Uh, Don't know what the listeners were thinking though.
0: Oh, uh, so becoming program director at a place like that. What was that? What was that like? That was scary. Um, there's another.
1: Yeah, we'll get to Triple M soon, but it was as scary as that. Like I felt like Alan Border in 1984. You know, that reluctancy to take the captaincy. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm going, where is Kim Hughes when you need him? <laughs> where was him? you, Kim Hughes? Kim, <laughs> where are you?
0: I was sort of going, hmm, huh? You know, like this.
1: And I thought, how do you be a program director?
0: You know? So, what decisions are you making? Are you making what's, what, who's on air, you know, what's, what, what songs are air, playing and all that, tempt, that kind of stuff. Well, Ralph, Did that, you have a music director? Yeah, or? yeah,
1: no. So, that gave me open season to tamper with the playlist and some of the stuff Golden Heard. I'll tell you what, they'll never hear again. because um, I was throwing stuff in the playlist no one had ever heard of that I thought should be getting a go. You know, a lot of these, in fact, I'll, I'll say this. I got the the EP from this band called Rat Cat, which, who became a phenomenon.
0: Rat Cat? I love Ratcat. Yeah, Cat. in the
1: early 90s, the Tingles EP. And I said, this is good. I'm just going to put this straight in. And they didn't want me to put it in because they said, no, 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 no. This is just a demo copy. The release isn't actually for another four weeks. And I said, I don't care. It's going in now. So we were probably playing That Ain't Bad. Remember that song? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were probably playing that before it was kind of, Really happening, you, know? you had a
0: national exclusive for the Melbourne
1: audience. I don't know if we're exclusive. There might have been other country dudes <laughs> doing the same thing. But I thought then it went to number one, and they said, "See, everyone will be sick of it now, and we're still playing it." And I said, "Man, you got to get ahead, somehow."
0: Put <laughs> <laughs> these guys on air. They're great. <laughs> I love ragga. So, like you said, steep learning curve for you. What did that teach you about how things ran in a in a radio station? Yeah, and I did stuff actually like learn
1: some things. I, I wasn't, you know jovial all the time. There were times where you had to be a little bit, you know, captain-ish, which can be hard. But, yeah, you've got to keep certain egos in check. Why you have them in country radio, I've got no idea. But we did have some. And, you know, a few little clashes occurred and you just had to kind of temper them and work it out. And, you know, I don't like confrontations, that's something I don't like. And Mm. in radio, they can be quite frequent. Yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) As you would attest. Yes, Um, yes, 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 indeed.
1: Um, Then that got
0: sold and I lost my job. Right, okay, so that was the first experience of how modern media can can go. Yeah,
1: uh, January 92, I'll I'll never forget that. You know, I I said, well, I think I'll go home and mow the lawn. Uh, I'm in the middle of Goulburn. I don't have a job. So Lee, my wife, who I met in Goulburn, she goes, well, why don't you send a tape to 2GB? And I said, well, I am going to do that because I now I want to do sport. This is it. This has opened the door for me.
0: So that made the decision for you? When yep. Goulburn finished up, you just thought, right, I'm going yep. to focus on yep. um, sport? So I sent
1: John Harker. <laughs> Hux Yeah, Harks, who was a copyboy at News Limited when I was there, incidentally, when I was right. talking about that other period. Uh, I sent him a demo. And for some reason, Lee told me to put certain rugby league callers or sport personalities impersonations on the front of the tape. And I oh. went, I said, that's a stupid idea. I said, I'm trying to get a serious... Trying to get a job yes, here. ...news-reading sports job here. They're just <laughs> going to think I'm an idiot. But unbeknownst to me, uh, John McCoy, who used to call on T V yes. they were looking, and Clive Gallier was producing. Oh, oh great Clive yeah. And they were looking for a little bit of... I don't know, quirkiness with the call like characters to come in and, and make jokes about footy. But I didn't know that, so that's on the front of the tape. And Harks goes, well, that'll do. He didn't know what else I could do or whatever, and I thought,
0: bloody So gosh. did he have you in for an interview? How did it work? Did he ring you up? Yeah, what, what, what... he
1: rang me. I went in there and I spoke to him. I said, mate, we didn't even use computers in Goldman. I don't know. We just had those little word processors in 2GB at that stage, but I didn't know how to use them. Anyway. So he says, well, yeah, you'll do it. And it was round one of the footy season. I started in March, so it was perfect timing. Apart from the 10-minute sports bulletin we had to do at 5 p.m., can you believe it? I was something like a big black Alsatian, put it that way. <laughs> and But in those days, of course, we covered touring cars, tennis. Everything was covered. You know, golf in Europe, I mean, if you're listening, Andrew Moore, we used to sometimes forget the name of the guy doing the report on the BBC, so we just made his name up. Barry Lamington was one of them. <laughs> the Applegate family. Yep. It was a bit like that. I hope you appreciate that, Andrew, if you hear this, but we have discussed it since. Oh. And it taught me a lot about, you know, we did um, a three-minute bulletin at midday, and on weekends, sport was two minutes every half hour. So, man, you had to really move, you know, but we had
0: Billy Fisher doing the coogs. Yeah. Uh, a
1: lot of people on the road, so that made it easier.
0: But it's hard work. Well, it's just so different now. It's just like you'd be lucky to get 30 seconds worth of sport in most news bulletins these days, on, particularly on FM, but, you know, mm. it's even getting downsized on, on AM, and you're really not covering it as, as perhaps radio could when you had all of those voices available with you know Craig Gabriel calling in from Key Biscayne or somewhere, That's you know. Right. <laughs> Craig was always on the phone with, you know, the preamble at the, you know, Bosch Com
1: open or something. Yeah. Which so I always
0: it, took. Oh, it was it was quite a um a fertile area to be a, a specialized sports reporter or sports newsreader, wasn't it? it like was. because yeah. every station had one in the morning, had one in the afternoon, had one in the morning weekends, had one in the afternoon weekends. So there was an avenue there to actually pursue that as a, as a full on career. But now, not so much. Not so much now.
1: Yeah. Everything's condensed, you know, and you are got to be probably a lot more poetic now to, to fit it all in, you know, the FM style, which I, I did that as well, uh, where you'd have to be like, or even at 2GB, you know, when I came back the second time, you'd get a minute of sport, but you could somehow fit four or five stories in even with a grab if you were quick enough. And that there's something good about that too, but I think the two minutes every half hour was, was great. You know, you could sort of stretch out a bit, especially on weekends because you know, there's so many results.
0: So coming from Goulburn and being someone who loves sport, going into that famous joint at Sussex Street, it must have been a real sort of eye-opener. Well, you Man, you must have learnt a lot on the run as well. Yeah, I did, because, again, petrified, because this was a real newsroom. Um, there was a lot of people working in there. And there was a thirst for information and correct and accurate yep. information and, like you said, longer bulletins that people actually wanted to hear from you.
1: That's right, and there were people working in that newsroom that I was sitting there in the sports corner, and I'm thinking, I- I'll never be anywhere near as good as these people. I don't even know why I'm here. I- Somehow I'm here, and I'll do what I do, but I just don't know how I'm here. Take me through some of those great names. Well, Andrew White. I don't know if you remember Andrew White. Well, Ian Ferguson. (laughs) Ferg could get pretty fiery, but, Mm. you know, I think Ian was a a bloody good reader and and a really good radio journo, actually. Jason Morrison started as a cadet while I was there, and I could see he was going to be something. You know, he picked everything up real quick. You know, he'd come out to the cricket with me. Yeah. And he'd ask all these questions about cricket when he didn't know anything about cricket back then, and I'd recommend him as a model for anyone trying to learn because he just wanted to know about it. And now he's a massive fan. I understand. Um, it was great. We were doing. We were covering Shield matches back then. I'd go out to the Shield for two GB. Unbelievable yeah. tests. Did that South Africa test when they came back? You know that first one. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. Series where we lost by five runs. At the SCG, the agony, but opportunities like that, they just don't come along. And, you know, you're grateful for every single one of them. And that period from 92 to 96, I learned a massive amount. Was scared the whole time probably, but
0: learned heaps. Well, speaking you know. of learning, that was when I sort of first made my way into to radio and was the work experience kid under you, yes. Andrew, Andrew Moore. I remember. Bill Fisher. And for a kid that was only ever interested in the two things of radio and sport, you guys were just instrumental in just me learning from you how to do things in terms of back then we still had the reel-to-reel and the carts oh, and stuff yes, like and that. Oh, and the bit of paper where you had to find out where the spot was, yeah. Yeah, you know, and, and, and as something that, that Roger White mentioned in a couple of podcasts earlier in, the, in this series about how you had to ring the scoreboard to get the scores. You didn't rely on Google, you know? And, yep. if, and if there was an injury in a rugby league team, you'd be ringing the coach to find out yes. who the replacement was. That's right. Yeah, I mean, you'd have to make 50 phone calls exactly. to get out of, out of the coach these days, whereas he was just the, the guy that you used to ring at home to get the updates. And I think, like you sort of said before, it, it might be a little bit easier in some regards, but I think in others... It sort of lost that sort of radio charm a little bit. It has
1: because I remember ringing St George once and I wanted to do an interview with Brad Mackay. And he, he was on his roof replacing tiles. And someone handed him the phone and goes, yeah, I'll come down and do it. And I thought, gee, you're joking. Now, you couldn't do that now. I mean, there's no way. Another Mark Coyne I rang once and he was doing his shopping in IGA or something. And he did a five-minute. And I'm thinking that just can't happen now because, as you know, it's stage managed and... When we were doing Origin back then, ninety-two, three, four for GB, the uh, dressing room was open and we'd just go in and catch a kill. So yeah. there's people in ice buckets sitting there. Laurie Daly, Bradley Clyde, and you know Phil Goulds handing out yeah you know, cans of to his new uh, unbelievable. Yeah, you, that won't happen
0: now. That experience for you must have again taught you a lot about how a professional radio station operated in in Sydney and, like I said, in that that great place that was falling apart at at Sussex Street.
1: Yes. Um, Yeah, look, it taught me so much and by the time 1996 came around when, you know, the newsroom was actually closed um, uh, and they took it out to WS, I think it was, um, in that four years I've probably learned, you know, massive amounts and I was feeling a little bit more confident by then that I, could, that I could do things, but still not so confident that I was ready for the next change, which was news only. So the Charlie Brown, you know, what's that character out of Charlie Brown? Linus. The blanket yes. of sport was taken away from me because Greg Hendricks, God rest his soul, was at WS then, and he was the sports guy. Yeah. And uh, I didn't get a job in the reshuffle, but then got one a week later, and suddenly it was news.
0: And I'm going, okay. So is that something that you weren't interested in or because sport was kind of easy to do because you knew it back to front, but then you get thrust into that news environment and then you kind of got to work out. But the way I sort of applied, I was just like, well, it's the same principle, really. If you understand the subject matter and you're able to put it into words that you will understand – I think, generally speaking, other people will understand they it will. as well. So is that how you approached it? I started reading the paper, trying to work out...
1: Th- <laughs> from front to back instead yeah, of back to front. Yeah, <laughs> uh, working out who the ministers were. Because I thought, you know, I've got to start getting, getting into this. this is, and this is like being one of those animals on one of those, you know, uh, David Attenborough documentaries, you've got to adapt in the forest. I thought, I'm going to die here. You know, I'm going to flip on my back and I'll be dead in a month. Because
0: you, you, weren't, you
1: weren't a young punk then. No, see, I don't know, what was I, mid-30s. Yeah. So I'm going, it's harder to adapt when you get to that point. And I thought, well, sure, I was still able to come in and do sport. Obviously, Hendo would have holidays and, you know, he'd be away a couple of days a week. But because sport wasn't the major, you know, I was pretty fearful. But, yeah, suddenly I, I got into it again and here we go again, another, just a different transformation. What was the most difficult part of that transformation? Thinking you weren't good enough. I think thinking that I shouldn't be reading news. You know, I'm not a news reader. You know, I'm a sports reader. But sport is not only news now, and in probably the last twenty years, sport in many ways overtakes it. A sporting controversy now, yeah, can sometimes blow news out of the water. So you, you realise that, uh, yeah, you know, you've got to adapt to both and. But, yeah, I just didn't think I was good enough, and that's something that's always plagued me anyhow, you know. Um, but as, as time went by, I had some Pendo was great there. Uh, Rob Gooder was uh, a mentor when I went there. He was really good, sat down with me and
0: helped me out, and you needed that no matter how old you what, were. What you. was it that, that they taught you? Because, like I said, I mean, the, the basic principles to constructing a, a sports bulletin is very much the same as a a news bulletin. and in fact I sort of think that the way that it is now it sort of helped me in transition in the fact that I used to be able to condense what you said before is like get five or six stories and a grab into a a bulletin so to then transition that into news and flip it on its head I find that I can cut out a whole lot of the crap when I'm writing news, whereas other people might write all these flowery, sort of, you know, in depth news stories. And I'm just the like, most, just, yeah. straight to the point. Like, yep. Is that how you found it, or did it take some time to get used to the fact that it, it was the same principles that you were applying from sport to news? It took me a while because you've got to work out what the story is. What, what's the lead line?
1: You know, you can't just trot out, you know, the state government says today, yeah, you know, learning how to find out what the hook is, you know, without looking for something that's not there, you know, telling the story properly, without embellishing it to make it sound more interesting, but finding the most interesting angle, you know what I mean? You want people to lean in when they're listening. That's it, you know, and you could listen to 30 minutes of the PM, no matter which PM in in the world, and you get 29 and a half minutes of just boredom. But there's the pearl waiting in there somewhere, and if they say that, that's the story, no matter what the announcement is. So, yeah, looking for that. But you're right, it sports the same. When a player stands there and goes, yeah, tough game, you're going, oh, you're killing me here because I've got nothing. But, And then you get the Glenn Maxwells who come out and say what he said the other week and
0: there's divided
1: opinions on whether he should have said it or not, but it's certainly a great yarn.
0: I mean, and part of that is dying with the whole stage managed process. I mean, you'd sort of see it across the board in, in politics and different things like that is like even police these days. It's all yeah. put them out, well, get them is. to say everybody gets the same information. So it's like everybody has the exact same story. That's you right. know, like whereas back in the day, you know, we had the great police reporters that were working for 2GB and 2UE and, you know, they'd be ears to the scanner, and they'd be able to access the cops before they spoke publicly, and you know they might be able to drag a witness out. Whereas now it's all very sanitised and it, very same, same. It is, and and you, I mean, it's it's a
1: dying art. It's still there uh, to some degree. You've still got your reporters that can. Suddenly an angle of the story is out there that, oh, you know, got hold of the facts or they got hold of something. But it, it's harder to do now. I think it's definitely harder to do. Um, certainly in courts it is because <laughs> you, you can't really go out of certain perimeters there. No. <laughs> Otherwise you can often be in, in a whole lot of other trouble. But you've still got to cr- try and describe the story in a way that suits your style or what you see, you know. Being observant is another thing, you know, being looking around and trying to work out what's going on, like recording someone when they don't know or asking them later if you can use it. Like one example is doing the Pasha Bulka story. We're up there for two days and it's about a boat stuck on a sandbar. (laughs) Well, how interesting is that? It isn't really. No. But I get down there and I'm petrified again because I'm going, we, well, we want something for 2 o'clock, and I'm going, oh, all right. So I go down to the Nobby's Beach or somewhere near it, and I think, oh, I've got nothing, you know? What am I going to do? So these people were being abused. Well, not abused, but this security woman who says, you've got to get back from here, you've got to get back. And I thought, oh, this looks a little bit exciting, so I think I'll record her. And she said, yesterday a tow rope off this boat snapped, and it flew 300 metres back here and could have killed someone, so get back. And I thought... That's gold. There's some audio gold right there. That's like scoring a try off a bomb when 50 people have knocked on. However, it's you just got to be on the spot to get it. And I thought, that's a fantastic grab. And I did ask her. I didn't just, you know. And she went, oh, yeah, I don't care what you do. So I said, right, there's your thing for 2 o'clock or whatever it is. And uh, that's just one example. You know? So
0: it's still being creative and still searching for I think so. angles that other people don't have. Because, I mean, the great advantage that, that radio has, and particularly in that situation, you know, TV have got these fantastic pictures of a boat just stuck there, so they can use that, whereas you don't have yeah, the luxury have that. of that. Um, so you've got to kind of come up with something that's not like, yeah. you know, like the the, uh, the rescuers, you know, is saying, you know, we're trying our best to get this thing offshore, blah, blah, blah. It's just Pretty like, it's, just, it's as boring as all. So what you had to
1: try and do was, I was almost like, I I think I I described it at one point, it looked like a marooned hotel, you know, because it was on its side and all its lights were on, and it looked like, I don't know, like the Hilton Hotel or something on an angle. So you had to try and keep thinking of things to
0: say, you know. uh, How important is that, like in a situation like you've just described there, is that all you've got at your disposal are words. Yeah, that's it, yeah. How trying to best use them is what sort of separates the good journalists from the ones that are just doing it for a job? Yeah, I think, I suppose you,
1: you've got to keep looking. Like, for example, in court, um, it's relatively the same, except people's reactions in court can be quite violent or whatever. And that's quite um, overt, and everyone's going to see that. But sometimes you can just look into the crowd or somewhere and see someone doing something that you know maybe someone else might not have seen or they might have like or describing their faces like you know you know her face contorted as she yelled at her you know son's killer this 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 and this so what she says everyone will hear if they're yelling it at the top of their voice but if if you just look at those other things that are happening and just keep looking around not not just at the person in the box or in the witness stand or when you're Out on the road somewhere, trying to just find that that lucky grab, you know that that, and you've got to keep looking for it. That's the thing I think, and ninety percent of it is luck. I reckon. Yeah, it's very lucky to get it, but you've
0: you've got to put yourself in that position. You've got to be looking for it. Get the luck. Yeah,
1: that's it. (laughs) To get that grab, the police guys doing the door knock. One person's going to get. I mean, a couple of times we're at a police thing and. Of it, you know, a few people gave up, and I, I, I sort of stayed out there, and there were a few others there too, and we kept sort of walking around, and some, someone gave us a grab that uh, when he snatched the baby or something, he, he had a gun on his hip or something like that. It, it was just, which hadn't come out. The cops didn't say anything about it. I can't even remember what the case is, but it's just one of those things. And we're, I've looked at, who was it? I forget the Channel 10 reporter's name now. This is years ago. And we've, gone, we've both looked at each other and gone, oh, you're kidding.
0: You're joking. So it's always remaining alert. And I think so. To if you try to look for something try different.
1: To, yeah, yeah. To look for something different. Look, there's plenty of days where I, I haven't done that. I've always tried to do that. But there's going to be days when you're on autopilot and you stumble on things. But there's other days where, well, you stumble on them and you're not looking for them. We weren't looking for that. But I guess the fact we were still just hanging around, I suppose that probably did it. And you couldn't blame anyone else for going. The next day I might be the guy that left, you know, and someone else will get the grab, you know.
0: So you had to transition into news at, at WS, but then an op- was it an opportunity that came up at, at Austereo, Triple M and Today FM, yeah. that, that got you across there?
1: Yeah. it's the. F- I think it's the first time I've actually left a radio station of my own volition. Without being sacked. <laughs> <laughs> You know, he has full support of the board, you know. Yeah. Like, um, so I...
0: The walkout is much more enjoyable when you leave of your I own accord. I think
1: so. Um, I was grateful to WS because, you know, again, it, I I avoided a bullet, you know. I'd only been out of work four days and got back in. But Mandy Wicks, that's it. Uh, I knew Mandy Wicks from... Um, oh, yeah, she was at 2GB. Yeah, with um, Tony Matthews and... Was Mandy Wicks there really? Yes, she was. Right, and I knew be her from there. And she became news director at Austereo. Yep. Now this would have been around ninety-five. This would have just been when Two Day and Triple M were were married together, yes. as they say. And um, Mandy contacted me, I I believe, yeah. And I said, look, yeah, I'd I'd rather leave W S and come to F M, and so I ended up editing. Today FM News for David White, who I uh, kind of, you know, idolised in the 70s. He was reading at 2SM and was yeah, one of yeah, the yeah. big... That's when newsreaders were kind of stars in a way. Not that they probably should be. But he was a bit... Yeah, he was well-known. You know, and uh, I thought, how am I going to edit news? Here we go again. The self-doubt.
0: How am I going to edit news for David White? What am I going to do? I can't do it. So what did you? what did you learn in that situation? Again, you had to sink or swim, and, you know, you started paddling like hell. Hadn't used News Boss. They'd only just brought that in. now. Oh, because they didn't have that at at GB when you were there, and then they sort of brought that in across the
1: board. Yeah, yeah. The technician Kurt Lars that invented the thing. He must be a multi by now. Oh, he's sitting on a beach somewhere. Yeah, in Bermuda, (laughs) not in the Triangle. Um, And News Boss, I go, hang on, what's that? And Mandy goes, well, we're having News Boss lessons, and I thought, oh, boy. Oh, jeez. And anyway, luckily, David White was technologically, as technologically challenged as me. So I said, well, we're in this together now. You're reading. I'm editing. Yeah. Good luck, David. Uh, but Jeff Field was there. Yeah. And I knew Jeff from GB. From GB, yep, yeah. He, he helped me a lot when I got to Ostero uh, because, I, again, I was just petrified.
0: What were you always petrified I don't know, of? Ralph. I think it might because be to, to me, like when it, having met you like years previous and you were always in control and you were doing what you had to do and it sounded good, yeah, so seemingly. I just never, never knew that that mm. was what you were fighting on the inside. Yeah, it might, I, I wonder if it helped me in a way. What, uh, the way that you were able to bluff your way through? Yeah,
1: or, or that self-doubt being there. The day that, I wouldn't go to this extreme necessarily, but... You know, the day you think you're good enough, it might be over, you
0: know. I think the the fear is there and you having experienced it a couple of times and I've experienced it a few times myself is just like there is that day that will come that you'll get wheeled out. So you always think that it's not a long-term prospect. So there's that fear factor that today could be my last day. That's it. And so I think along that comes with that is the fact that you want to do your best job On that day, that's it, and it's also the fear of just the
1: surroundings too. Again, I walk in, and there'd been all these other people that had been there for a long time, and they knew the system and they knew how it worked. And and for you know, I knew that I knew news by then and sport, which comes in handy in a place like Triple M. Yeah. Um, When really people in the newsroom, I wouldn't say that was a much. I wouldn't say it was a sporty newsroom at that stage. So I had that to sort of fall back on and stuff. But see, much shorter bulletins, and again, the 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 the, uh, the the poet had to come out. You know, like you had to really shorten things. And I thought, gee, you can only fit your news in. You how, did you,
0: how did you cope with that?
1: Really it, tightening actually, it up. Actually, it was it was a bit easier than I thought in the end. And it took me about a month. You know, I was getting things in pretty late. You know, we were still printing bulletins though at that stage, so it was. Very slow. We had these really slow printers, and you know the theme would be playing, and I'm handing David the bulletin, and, and I thought, but he must have had worse than that in his life, yeah, you know, yeah surely. Yeah. Um, but it was again a lot of tension and yeah. drama at a station today yeah. that really wasn't known for its news anyway. So what was I getting so worked up about? But I thought, no, I've, I've got to
0: do gotta this gig. This. I've got to do
1: it right. I, I want to do it. Right. So yeah. putting
0: that in there, and I, as someone who spent a lot of years writing for other people, trying to get into their heads in terms of how they would phrase something and do all that, was that something that came easy for you, or is it something that sort of took a little bit of time, and then once you got it, you got it? Is that how it sort of worked That's for you? That's exactly how it
1: worked. Because writing for David White... Um, We clicked after a while. We got on like a house on fire. It was great. But at first, yeah, I was probably a little bit too... Formal? A little bit too formal. Today, that's not so bad. At Triple M, you had to drop the formality a bit, I thought. And later on, when I got a bit more confident and occasionally I was reading at Triple M, I I just decided to... I was using slang and... I'm not kidding. The bulletin sounded... Without going overboard, you know, like there's a train strike. People are twelve deep on Town Hall Station, standing around like stale bottles off. I didn't say the next word. The word, yeah, yeah. But Sando was on queue, I think, ready to do the traffic, and he's laughing his head off in queue. I can hear him, (laughs) and I thought, well, this isn't so bad for Triple M, as long as it didn't go on every bulletin. No, you know. But there's blokes out there going, maybe they thought it was funny. Maybe they thought he's an idiot. But it's a real skill to that, though. Well, yeah, you just think of it and go, what do they think? You know, they've got
0: to be angry, but I can't say what they're going to say. But you can say something else. You know? So they're interested in the fact that there's a pile-up on the M4 and they couldn't give a rat's about what's happening in federal parliament. Exactly. So it's it's actually what you're doing is you're pretty much sort of being uh, One of those like, people. A, like a traffic cop when it when it comes to, to news. Okay, that stuff, no good. We'll chuck that. We'll bring yep. that in. We'll, we'll put yep. everything else yep. elsewhere. It's just like... What to the, does the mm. audience really mm. w- want to know? What do tradies want to know, as opposed to your more discerning Two GB or Two yeah. UE listener that yeah. wants to know everything that's yep. happening across everything? Exactly, um, and even guys working for Mercantile Mutual Bank, you know, in
1: their suits, listen to Triple M, and, and I thought, well, all of those guys are about to go to Seven O Two, so how do we keep them here? You know, this was some of the things you had to try and think about, and again. As you know, after Laura Chilengirai left, hello Laura. Again, I was
0: handed the captain seat, which I didn't want. <laughs> so take, now, why does this keep happening? <laughs> take take me through that whole process. So you're there in your in your little gig. You found your little niche. You've learnt how to do news. You've adapted yourself to the two stations, you know, your teeny bopper Today FM arrangement, yep, your blokes, which you're quite comfortable with, sport. I know you to do. You know, you, yeah. could, you, you, yeah. you found your home where, you, you know, you could tell people the news that you were interested in. Then all of a sudden, like you said, the captaincy comes knocking and then you're yes. in charge of rosters and dealing with personalities. Exactly. And, you know, birds crying because they've been rostered on on a Saturday and, oh, Jesus.
1: <laughs> How did that sit you? Because, you? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so you're cracking jokes at second slip one minute and then you're the captain. And that's different, isn't it? I mean, uh, you could pull the tops off a few beers with the players when you're not the captain. When you're the captain... It's all different. And you've got to find a way, if you can, to keep everyone happy and keep pumping that news out that's really good. Now, they were a, a bloody talented bunch. There's no doubt about that. I mean, I, some of the people that came through there, I mean, you were there. Um, Sarah Crabb, you know, who I hired from Wollongong. I mean, that was like signing an unknown player who became great, I reckon. Um, and her response to getting hired was what got me Um, I I agree.
0: I I, I, I said to her this the other day, it's just like there are newsreaders that just have an instant authority and an instant flow and that never make mistakes. She's one of them. She's
1: one of them. And I was driving through General Holmes Drive and I said, uh, because I negotiated the deals with Dobbo. (laughs) Again, Dobbo, if you're listening, thanks. He made me look good because the money was pretty good, Ralph. And... I rang Sarah up, I put her on loudspeaker, I'm in my car, and when I told her she had the job, I could hear her screaming from, you know. (laughs) And I thought, well, and she had enthusiasm, and has, I should say, enthusiasm, and she won't mind me telling this story because she did tell this story on your program. Before I tell it, I should say that a grab that was meant to be the Prime Minister once, I played a Malman grab. So we've all done this. This was my second bulletin. Sarah said her first bulletin. Her mic didn't open or something, and I yeah. was I was nervous for her, so I'm walking around Triple M pacing like a father. And when I heard nothing, right after the theme, I just sat on my haunches and started panicking. And then she just recovered like a pro. Mm. And that's that's one of the big things. It's okay to do a bulletin where nothing goes wrong, but she recovered beautifully and hasn't looked back since.
0: But yeah, so that must Great give moment. you an enormous satisfaction, the reluctant captain. But you've managed to spot some talent that's gone on to become really good. So yeah. that does that give you like yeah, a, a good sort of feeling that the fact that you're responsible for someone that's on one of these well-known Sydney breakfast radio programs now as the news reader and a, a credible voice in in Sydney news over the last sort of decade.
1: Look, it does. Um, obviously, they've got to do it. You know. Um, but you get inklings about people and, you know, I used to have to go to the program director about, you know, the, the tapes for people I wanted to put on and, oh, some, sometimes he'd just go, damn, after listening to five seconds and I'm going, mate, what are you doing? They've got something and you mm. have to convince them. It's like trying to sign a band or a record company,
0: you know. So, how, yeah, how much of that is being a salesman as well, getting the, the one that you want?
1: Heaps because Triple M, we
0: all know, I don't know.
1: It's probably, Certain sound. Probably, probably all the same that. now, I don't know, yeah. but back then, it was all about that female crystal clear, and you had to cut through. You know? and Sasha Hidler's got that too. The voice just cuts right through. Yeah, and it sounds great. and, and that's what they wanted. that's what they're after, you know so see um, Sasha was part-time, I think at the time. So yeah. the first thing was to put her on full time.
0: So was it difficult for you then being that captain as we, we mentioned and well, I guess there was no f- real fit for you on air. Like Today FM was something that you were – you'd been the, the editor and you'd occasionally do the old bullet and then, and then Triple M and then you were hiring these great people who were then taking all the on-air spots and you were happy to be the, the breakfast <laughs> I editor. I was. I was fine, you know. I was it, – it, I didn't mind that
1: at all. You um, have no ego, see, that's the thing, oh, well, you know. I don't know about that. <laughs> but I didn't mind because I did love it when I was reading, you know, especially Triple M. I think that was more my yeah. style. I had to read two day for a while and I just, I don't think it was a good fit, you know, at all. But I thought, no, well, I was essentially, I was writing up all the sport and then doing interviews and, yeah, putting all them together and just making sure. But Jeff was there again, linked up with Jeff Field again. So yeah, yeah. See, his 2GB experience, even though he was reading two day, really came to the fore anyway because he knew how to edit as well and, and do all that. And so it was working really well like that. Now, I was quite happy to do that. Um, The early mornings were interesting for 10 years, getting up at
0: 3 a.m. How did you cope with that? Because a lot of people have different strategies when it comes to that kind of thing. You know, I did that for six years, and by the end of it, I realised in myself now, sort of reflecting on it, that I just became cranky all the time and grumpy. It's just like it's that constant feeling of jet lag that gets you in the end. Yeah, it's like coming out of an operation in hospital. You know, you, you feel like you're
1: asleep all the time, and I guess you get used to it. But um, yeah, I just had to pull through it in the end. And yeah, but which it touched on before too, counselling people was not was not easy. And yeah, you know, I didn't get everybody I offered a job to. You know, who were the some of Jody the Jodie Spears out? you turned me down? Oh, um, Jody Spears, got that's you all right. Go. I've mentioned it to her. She was looking for a job there and she went to look to her credit, she went to two UE and I thought that's pretty good because the money's better at F M. Yeah. This is one of the other things when gone I was we'll get to that though. When I went back to two G B, which I still am now, the money plummeted but I was a lot happier. Yeah. And how do you work that out? But
0: yeah, there are reasons for that. But in, in in that in that era of Triple M and and Today FM, I mean, you would have worked with some of the great radio talent in terms of the on air people oh, as yeah. well. Like in terms of the 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 Andrew Dentons were around. Yeah. The Wendy Harmer breakfast show yep. was was going gangbusters, and then the the early onset of Kyle and yes. Jackie o in at night time, and then drive and then into breakfast. So mm. you would have seen some some great days at that old and a discussed this probably five or six times with Dan Ganane and, and Matt McDonald and different people that have worked at triple M MMM. yeah, well there's two more great talents you've just named there Today FM that that joined at Bondi Junction that was a real radio station oh, it, was it looked great. like a radio station smelt like a radio station <laughs> you had rock and roll stars coming in left right and center playing on, upstairs oh, yeah. you know um, yeah. that that was, that was such a, a great Sydney radio Institution, it was, wasn't that it? That new education. building, boy, wasn't yeah. it?
1: that swish when that opened? Oh, I know. Um, yeah, that was amazing. Um, and it, you're right; the sound, everything was there. And
0: I think we had all the right voices around the place too. And what was that like working with the people, like you know, uh, that you'd see around the building, like your, your Dentons? Oh, and your, great. You know, um, Wendy mm-hmm. Harmers and, and yeah, so yeah, they were and... always
1: really friendly. I remember talking to Andrew Denton quite a bit. You know, and I've always been a big fan of Andrew Denton. and Club Wendy. Veg, of course. Club Veg. I did read, well, whenever people were on holidays, I was reading um, Drive on Triple M. So, you know, Mal and Vic had intervene, and you had to be ready to kind of say something. And they were funny. They were really funny. And you had to be ready, didn't you? Like Because they bring you in when you least expected it. But interesting, I had to do two-day for a couple of weeks uh, in the afternoon. And Hamish and Andy happened to be in town doing their show in Sydney, and they were
0: amazing to work with. Those guys were just hilarious. So know. did you identify that early on, that those guys had it? Yeah, I think they were already there. I've, I don't know how
1: advanced they were at that point, but they had their own show in Melbourne, I think, at that stage. Yeah. Um, and they I don't know why they were in Sydney, but something, for some reason, they'd come to Sydney to do their drive show, and I was doing news for that week and thought, this is great, and they're bringing you in at the right time, and so you started writing things in the news. That you thought they might appreciate. Sometimes they hooked in, sometimes they didn't and you fine. That that's
0: good. And that skill as well, what we sort of touched on as well is that preparedness to if someone like a, a Club Veg or Hamish and Andy wanted to pick apart a, a news story, you had to be pretty quick-witted and ready to go with a, a response, because that's not a skill that everybody has, right? You know, no, it can, it, and, it, and it can throw you.
1: Yeah, and it doesn't always work. I mean, there's plenty of times where you reach down and, as George Costanza said, I reached down, there was nothing there! You know, and, and okay, it's a bit awkward, but then you go, get it the next time. Everyone knocks on not in a good. league game, everyone gets an outside edge in a cricket game, everyone gets <laughs> hit for six, right? You've got to turn around and go, you can go off. Your next shot's gotta be your best shot. You yeah. Know? You just gotta make sh- just make the next one the best one. You know? <laughs> You'll get three goodies in a row and you might get a dud.
0: Yeah. yeah. But that's okay too. So know? You are in charge of the joint one minute, and then you weren't. Um, Yeah, here we go again. uh, You know, and and again, that sort of, I don't know, bean cutters make decisions, um, or they bring in national news directors that have these wild and bizarre concepts are going to take news in a new direction and all this kind of rubbish. Um, You're trying to get me talking, aren't you? (laughs) Um, But it it happens. Um, We all sort of see it happens, and you were a, a victim of that, which led you back to... 2GB and and pretty much into your current role where you, where you are now. Like, how did that transition work? Because yeah. you're out of a job, you got to find one pretty quick. Because everyone's got a mortgage and kids and all that kind yeah, of by thing. By then, so, all that was happening, and I'm I'm gone. Did you ever think of like leaving the industry, or was that... oh, I thought about it because I thought
1: I at this stage is not. I won't get back this time. Yeah, it can't happen this often. You know, um, and I, I was walking out of a Triple M, I remember, and you know Anthony Maroon came down with a had a beer with me, and Dan, and, you know, and I just said, well, I guess that's about it, you know. And Maroon was there going, mate, I've you know, I've been bounced around like a pinball around this city, you you know, something'll happen. So I got a I got a you know, to be fair, I got a good payout, but then I'm sitting there going, but you don't have a job, so I'm watching Seinfeld at home on the lounge. This is two days later. The Summer of kill? Summer of Guild. <laughs> March 21st. Yeah. You know, and I'm sitting there in the phone rings, and I pick it up and it's Jason Morrison. He goes, so what are you doing? And he's, you know, Ferg voice, yeah, yeah. what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm sitting at home watching Seinfeld, you know. And he goes, do you want to come into GB for an interview? And I went, you bet I do. So the following Monday, I'm in yeah. there and Ferg and Jason are there. And Jason said, well, until you know what you want to do, you could be an on-road reporter for us. And I went, Jason, that is what I wanted. And so I got started as a casual,
0: and that went on and on. They just left me there. Because I distinctly remember uh, at that stage, we might be talking about 2007. That and, was it. and yep. There was talk that you were, well, I didn't even know, actually. And then I tuned the radio on to hear GB, and there's the dulcet tones of Gil Taylor out at something. And I just thought, Have they just stolen that from the Austereo queue? No, he's actually working there because the official Macquarie National News, as it was back then, tag was on it. What the hell's going on there? So it must have been a really swift transition.
1: Yeah. I mean, I didn't have time, but this time it was better because I was going back to, although having said that, yeah, I'd done on-road with Triple M as well because I wanted to have an on-road presence and get that Triple M mic out as much as we could to all these... Yeah, stand-ups and stuff. So I got a bit of experience doing that there, which I probably wouldn't have otherwise because they weren't big on going out in
0: those days. No, no, so you introduced that, but was that, I guess, in the end it sort of served you well for, you know, things that you were going to do in the future because it's about establishing the contacts that are on-road because it's a different beast, right? There's your your studio people that just linger in the studio and read news and whatever, and there's nothing against them. But then there's the different pack is the... The people that still work in the radio station, but they're based on roads. So whether it's at state parliament, whether it's at courts, whether it's at sports jobs or whatever, there's different... Uh, it's different. Yeah. Dynamic is totally different. And it's
1: for me, it's what I prefer. I didn't realise I did prefer it, but I, I do. And I was...
0: You found your people.
1: Yeah, I think, yeah, I found, yeah. And you ran into people you'd worked with or I shouldn't say against, should I? Yeah, but from other stations... And there were great guys, you know, like Lance Northey and you know, Mr. Craven and, and, and all these other people and it was great. I thought I'm home again, you know. I'm I'm back here. And then out of nowhere, now I think it was Rachel Stevens who said this. Yeah. I met G B and um, she goes, Well, we need someone to do courts for three weeks. And I went, What's that? How do you do that? What what is courts? And just I don't know, you go into court and do a book because Jessica uh, Campanaro had moved to drive reading. Right. And I went, oh, boy, here we go again. And that was nearly 10 years ago. Petrified um, again? Petrified again. I walk into the court office over here where it still is and there's Marg from AAP, uh, Margaret Tchaikovsky. Uh, and she became my mentor. She helped me out incredible. She's because back there, now.
0: there must be a whole lot of, uh, having never covered a court case in my life, must be a whole lot of etiquette involved, and you know, you before we sort of set things up, you know, you were required for a you know a certain bail hearing that you know took some time or whatever. Yes. I don't know. Yeah. How long did that take for you to to pick up to learn those little intricacies of that particular round? Yeah. Because it is a very specialised area of reporting. Yeah, there's a lot of nuances that I had no idea about.
1: Again, luckily, uh, as you said, with the the same principle, if you walk into court, you report what is said, and if you can just work out what the body of the story should be and put it in with the background, you know, he allegedly shot so-and-so on this date, da-da-da-da-da, and then you find the lawyer, Pearl, as I was talking about before, the really good comment, you know. However, there's a whole lot of other things to worry about, suppression orders, d- rules of law that, you
0: know, we're not lawyers. I mean, we don't... I know. Uh, when we sort of heading down that sort of legal path, and I mean, that's, yeah, so, that's big sort of bicky territory in terms of if you say the wrong thing... you can be in a whole
1: other world of trouble. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you, you just have to be... I was just dead quiet when I first started because I thought, I'm not going to say a thing. I'm just going to learn off people on the road and watch what they do and gather, you know, gather information and just just watch what they do and started off slow, you know, built up the diary very slowly. I didn't even know you had to do that when I was got there. I wasn't writing in next appearance day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and slowly you just start to get it, I suppose, like, I don't know, like the penny drops or something and
0: you just... There's been a whole heap of famous cases in the the last sort of 10 years. Would oh. you have one that particularly... Sticks out in your mind of just like you have followed it from start to finish, and you found the whole process, the way that you were able to deliver the information on air with programs, really rewarding. Having to sort of, you know, get the the, it is at its rawest form, and then you're able to sort of wrap it up in a tiny little bow and push it on its way. Is there one that or a couple that sort of stick out? I'd probably say. Because
1: it's, uh, I'd say Simon Gattani was the only one that I went to his first appearance, um, right through to the sentence. Like every step, because it's almost impossible to do that, because yeah. sometimes you're doing five trials at once. So, oh, someone else will have to do the um, sentence hearing for this, or someone else will have to do the sentence for that guy, I'll be at this guy. You know what I mean? That's the only one. There might have been more. Oh, there might have been one other, but I can't remember. But Katani, I went to his very first court appearance, yeah. all the way through to sentence submissions, the verdict, the whole, nearly all of the trial to, um, you know, verdict and then, yeah, sentence. Right such
0: through. such a, like, yeah. a fascinating story. And that was a,
1: a big one. That was a huge one.
0: Um, you no, know, there's other things like the, I guess, the, the Gordon Wood. Um, Gordon Wood was a big one. You would have been a, a cross. Um, yep.
1: um, Yeah. There was so many. Uh, oh.
0: What's what's it like turning up every day, knowing that okay, there's going to be something that it's going to captivate the nation. The outcome of this court case mm. is going to be something that's a moment in time.
1: Yeah, that's going to be like a, a water cooler subject to say the least. Yeah, it's it's a lot. Of, you still feel the pressure because, and you know, I think that's good. I think I go in there and. When you've got a jury coming in, you've got a 10-minute window to get there and all yeah. this sort of stuff, and you go, gee, what's the verdict going to be? I'm nervous, you know, and you think I'm nervous. What about the bloke in the dock or the woman in the dock? Um, but I'm sitting there just going, gee, this is just huge, you know, like Rogerson, all those sort of cases.
0: Is there a checklist you go off in your, your mind, like in terms of what you have to do? Is there a process that you go through every time well, that, yeah. that 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 happens? First uh-huh. thing, when the verdict comes, you
1: while you're jury watching, I have to go to other cases, you know, and play chicken with it a bit. But I've got to have something written. I've got to have a not guilty version, a guilty version, hung jury version written, because you could you could get the verdict at five to the hour, or even less. And programs want it. News wants it. Oh boy, you know you got your race out. I think Katani was like that. I think it came out about five to four. You know. Not good. I was sitting there just going, hang on, jury, don't come in yet. You know, but you, you've got to have it the body of it written, what you know from the trial, and the best bits you've heard. Like maybe some of the best quotes from the Crown or and Defence. And have them all ready. And then you can just fill the middle in, look at Gatani's reaction. If there is one, that'll be the lead if he freaks out, you know what I mean, and screams like Kelly Lane did. Yeah. That became the lead because paramedics were being called for and all that. So... Yes, her verdict is the story, but also what happens in the courtroom.
0: You know. Often you can get people that react very badly. So being prepared for that unexpected as well.
1: Yeah, you, you, you sort of should be because um, you often get two sets of families when verdicts come down and one of them not going to be happy. So anything can happen and you've just got to be ready to try and write down, oh, who threw that or, oh, was he trying to punch that guy or what's this... So you got to try and get that in the voicer, and think I've got to get outside too, and file as quickly as possible for news, and then get on air to programs and give it to them. What you know. is that like as a as a rush? Oh mate, that's it is great when it's finished. At the at the time, it's really nerve wracking because you you race out of court to either do a program cross. It might be let's say it might be eight minutes two by now. And you do the cross and then you think, I've got to file for news and you're waiting for the person to come out of court at the same time. That's that's really the triple part twist in a way. You know, you you'd rather it not happen in that order. you if it was if it was ten past the hour, I'm cool as a cucumber. I'm thinking yeah, it's no drama, you know, it's it's all good. But when it's 10-2, yeah, it's getting really heavy and yeah, you've just gotta push it
0: out. How much of that is relying on years and years and years of radio experience?
1: Well, probably most of it, even when you don't know it. I think it's like, it's just everything everyone's told me, you know, be prepared, have everything ready, um, yeah, be ready to jump, you know, because if you try and write a voice from a standing start, even if you've done the trial, it's not the same. You've you, you got to have it nearly ready, you know. It's like when they, I mean, we were at the Super League announcement, you know, when... Yep. Oh yeah, to be ready to go there because that was pandemonium. There were lawyers running around, and you know, who do we talk to? You just got to be ready to do something. And if you file something and it's and it's okay and it's you feel good within yourself, you think, okay, they've got it now for this hour. You're safe. You're safe. You know.
0: As I mentioned earlier, the court round very specialised round. So you know the people that you are, I guess, working against, or you know, work, might be working for different uh, media outlets. So. Comes its own sort of little family in a way. So, how much do you rely on the other people that you know might be working for the Telegraph, for example, or might be working for for Channel Nine, and you know might be in different sort of courts at different times? So, you're able to really combine well as a as a unit and come together. How important is that uh, at, at times to, to use each other to get the end result that you want to get out on the radio?
1: Uh, crucial because. It's, you know, resources are sort of trimmed everywhere and we can't all be at the same place at the same time. For those huge cases like Kelly Lane, Roger Rogerson, everyone will be there. So it's, it's not as, as big a deal. But even for sort of really good cases, you know, maybe three-and-a-half, four-star ones, we could be spread out all over the place. And that's when you text each other and say, look, it's not giving a yarn away or anything. Because nah. everyone that's done the story... But, you know they want to be there when the verdict's coming, and yeah, there's no way you want people to miss it. You know, and I'm glad you mentioned the Telegraph because um, Amy Dale, close friend of mine, she was very helpful to me, and yeah, yeah she she was a confident and Marg, as I said from AAP, people like that. There's lots of people, and we're a tight knit unit. We have our own Christmas party. Yeah, it's developed like that over the years. So it's been the closest round I think I've done. I have to say that definitely. You, know, you enjoy a beer at the end
0: of the day once it's all said and done? Oh,
1: yeah, a few wines, Ralph. No doubt about it. <laughs> I, I have a couple a night.
0: We'll uh, we'll get towards the, the end of this in a sec, but we couldn't let it go without talking about your beloved St. George oh, Dragons.
1: What's going Where did on the love there? of that
0: begin uh, for you? Well, that was, I still remember the,
1: the day. It was at Belmore Oval, St. George were playing Canterbury. It was 1970. Dad took me there for the first time. this this is how old I am I think Johnny King was still playing the great Johnny King (laughs) and Graham Langlands and everything else um and yeah it just I just watched that game and just went these guys are great you know and I started going and of course I went through all the highs and lows of supporting the Dragons a couple of premierships in the 70s never forget those um it's in my blood you know I was I mean I'm from the area um amazing. You know, and the 2010 victory was probably the second best. 77 was the best result.
0: 77? Why was that? The,
1: the first one that I'd seen and watching Lord Ted Goodwin bleeding onto the Giltman shield was one of the, the highlights of my life, I reckon. You Because know, the draw, the drama, we had to come back a week later. I was in tears when Salkowitz scored that try yeah. with two minutes to go to make it nine all. <laughs> I remember turning to Dad saying, we had it won, you know, and he goes, don't worry, it'll be all right. But then he paused and went, I won't tell you what he said then. And Cronin missed the goal and the rest is history, isn't it? But oh,
0: it nearly killed me, Ralph. Investing so much in a, in a football team, oh. you know, it's, I've described it before, it's like sport is the ultimate when it comes to theatre. You've got heroes, you've got villains, you've got controversy, you've got yeah. drama, you know. Shakespeare's got nothing on this stuff. Hamlet <laughs> <much> can go <laughs> no. jump. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, It's just like once you've invested your whole life into something and it's, it's like you've, that's what it is. It's the same following, you know, cricket or whatever, but I think football more particularly because you're invested in that – particular club you're not invested in individual players well they play for the team or whatever and it's the same you just follow it all the way through you do um, um and then to have a break of however many years it was from 79 to 2010 up and down fortunes of the of the club that was amazing uh what was it 20 how many years is that
1: 31 years in between you know and i remember the other two vividly you because know, i was 15 and 17 and i we they'd lost so many you know, 85 by point, 92-3 against a team they were never going to beat. Brisbane
0: with 10 internationals. I mean, please. What was that like working on that as well? I find it's a different feeling when, oh, you're, oh, when you're working on something that you're so heavily invested in. You can't really reveal your emotion, but you want to... I was reading, that was the year I was
1: doing that that sports stuff with John Harker and reading the bulletins. I had to read the bulletins. I couldn't concentrate while the game was on. I mean, we got flogged 20 yeah. 28 but I was hoping, I guess, you know, against hope that you know it was six four at one point. And I thought, oh, is there any chance? And having to yeah write the bulletin about it, well, it wasn't easy. But you know, you just play a bit of the call. This is what happened. Yep, Brisbane scored. Yeah, Renoff with his length of the field try. You got to swallow it, Ralph. You have to swallow your pride and do it. Did it again in '93, and I was at WS in '96 when they got rolled by. Well, probably one of the better manly sides of the of the era, you
0: know. And that wasn't
1: without controversy either. No, the tackle on Matthew Reed. I still say it's a tackle. But I think the better team won. But eh, the game was interesting at that point. Uh, I like to think we were with a rough
0: chance, but that was a pretty good manly team. Oh, no, knowing you as I, as I do, I mean, I just marvel in the fact that you're able to recall stats and scores and crowd figures and things yeah i might have of... some sort of illness i
1: think Ralph, <laughs> that's not diagnosed or not even discovered um, i don't know i don't know where that comes from uh, numbers i don't know what that is maybe it maybe just on the sits rain in your brain man
0: somewhere writing for it to come out at whatever occasion
1: some reading big league when i was 10 i'd always remember the scores for some reason the scores in particular why i don't know Yeah. Uh, Certain incidents I remember too, but, yeah, usually schools, you know. Don't know how that happens.
0: It's been a career that's spanned a couple of oh, – or a few decades now, and you think about just being able to, as you've sort of discussed in this interview, transition each time. Has that been a, a great strength of yours? Not everybody can do that. Once you're in a, a pigeonhole or once you're in a hole, you tend to stay in that hole, whereas you've gone, okay – I want to be a DJ at Goulburn. Then I'll transition into a sport guy, then flip over to be news, and then at this latter stage of your career, court. So that must give you some kind of satisfaction that you've always been able to pivot at the moment that your career looks like it's hanging by a thread. Yeah. um, I mean, most of it forced,
1: I've got to be honest. I didn't initiate most of those things. Um on one occasion, as I said, I left a radio station of my own volition. But I think in retrospect, I think I've adapted okay. But only in retrospect, I would say that. I would say at the time you were talking about, at that junction, when I was first there, I really didn't think I was going to be able to. I don't know where that comes from, but I was just each time, as I said, very doubtful whether I could do it. Is it a survival instinct? Could be. or just, just yeah, the terror of the unknown, perhaps, like being scared of the dark. Yeah, you know, when you're a kid, um, I'm scared of the dark now. No, but yeah, I think maybe I made too much of it, and it would overwhelm me. You know, um, but you know, I'd just advise anyone to hang in there. And yeah, you know, and, and the only thing is, if you know, if you're any good at all, you know, you can be better. And I think that's something that's probably held me in good stead. I think I'm still trying to. Improve. There's plenty of days when you're on autopilot and you think, come on, you know, you can do better than that. You make a bit of a mistake, but mistakes are part of it.
0: We'll wrap it up in a second. You've been very generous with your time, but what would be your advice to somebody that's looking to break into media now, given the fact that it has changed so much since you first came onto the scene and you first went through the, the process there at, at Max Rowley's, what would it be that you would say to any anyone that's looking to pursue a career in, in radio or, in fact, other media? Well, you really, well, this is a diamond
1: cliche, back yourself, but that that never goes away. You've got to do that in an ever-diminishing media world, too. I mean, we shouldn't have any illusions about it. Um, it is getting smaller, but... I think if you've got enough self-belief and if you're good enough, you'll get through somehow, whether you're producing or end up being an on-road reporter or whether you end up, you know, reading news, yeah, you, you'll end up somewhere. There'll there'll be something, you know. But I, there's probably less opportunity, I'd say, which is fair to say, you know, with, the, with the, the cubing of everything these days, you know, modern media and a lot of other professions too. It's not just ours. But, but just, yeah, back yourself and... Believe in yourself and don't have the self-doubt that I've always had.
0: (laughs) Gil Taylor, thanks very much for your time. Thanks, Ralph. There he is, Gil Taylor, court reporter for Macquarie Media. If you really enjoyed my chat today with Gil, please let him know by sending him a tweet. He's at 873GT. You can also follow us on Twitter, which is at MediaMatesAU. Check out the Facebook page. Most importantly, if you could subscribe in iTunes, that'd be great. It means you won't miss an episode. While you're there, leave a rating or review. That way, more people will learn about the show. Until next time, I'm Ralph Tucker, and this has been the Media Mates Podcast. Media Mates Podcast.